Today on Ag News Daily. This plan has created inclusion. It, it, it really invites everybody in rural America to be a part of the solution. Because as the directors conceived this long cattle industry long-range plan, I watched them. Good afternoon and happy Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen. I was just telling Delaney that I have my days jumbled up, so it doesn't feel like a Wednesday, but I'm excited that it's a Wednesday nonetheless. But Delaney, we're seeing some pretty cold weather down here in Texas, probably not as cold as you're seeing, but I think the high for today is 28 degrees and it's been snowing just a little bit, but it's not sticking to the roads, luckily. Yeah, it's been quite chilly here, Ashton, so I don't even want to hear you complain about your weather. I think yesterday it was like negative, I don't know, I want to say negative 5, negative 10 after wind chill. Today, it's supposed to be a little warmer compared to yesterday, but we're still in the single digits as far as temperature goes. But weather is definitely a big story across the nation and even across the world today, Um, one of which being we are expected to see quite a bit more cold weather here over the next few days. And I'll get into that here in just a second. But the other big piece of that story is weather down in South America. It looks like good weather is in store for Brazil's Midwestern region, which could help and is intended to help farmers pick up the pace on their harvest for this time of year. Uh, The 2021 Brazilian soybean harvest is still the latest in 10 years, so not going to see that probably change too much. But their harvest so far is about 4% complete and anticipated to pick up the pace here as they do see quite a bit of more favorable weather ahead. As far as other weather stories worldwide, like you mentioned there, Ashton, We're seeing a lot of cold across the Northern Plains and the Midwest. There's a good chance for a big snowstorm here across the Southern Plains where wheat areas are expecting a very cold next five to seven day stretch. Temperatures expecting to plunge to near or below zero. And quite a bit of snow, I believe, is expected here across the Midwest as well, not just the Southern Plains, but I believe here for the next five to seven days in Iowa and the central Midwest, we're expected to see some very, very cold temperatures as well. And that is going to be a little bit uh, interesting to see how that impacts the markets, more specifically wheat and cattle. But yeah, couple that in with uh, Brazil and Argentina's anticipated drier areas, drier weather here over the next few days. Weather is going to be playing a major role in markets moving for the next uh, week or so, I would say. Well, Delaney, another big thing that we have been watching in the news other than weather is the fate of glyphosate kind of globally. I mean, we've seen some things here in the U.S., but the latest glyphosate news is coming from Germany. Their farmers will have to gradually reduce their use of glyphosate and stop using it completely by 2024 in order to preserve clean habitats for insects under draft legislation passed by the country's cabinet earlier today. 
Farmers have criticized the planned law, saying it puts the livelihoods of family-run farms at risk and that bans would be less effective in fostering biodiversity than cooperation between farmers and conservationists. Under the draft German legislation, the use of herbicides and insecticides that could harm bees will be banned from certain areas. In addition, new installations of certain types of lights will be forbidden to reduce light pollution. The law that has been introduced into the cabinet needs to be passed by both the Budenstag Lower House and the Budenstrat Upper House, which represents the interests of the 16 regional governments in Germany, which is a process that typically takes several months. So it has just been introduced from what I understand, and we might not get an answer, or these you know, farmers in Germany might not get an answer for a couple of months now. So that's something we'll have to continue to keep a little eye on there, Ashton. Uh, you know, I got to be honest, one of the things I was really keeping an eye on today, so I'm glad you're keeping more than an eye on the news, but I was watching the commodity markets pretty heavily today because we had, again, major sell-offs after yesterday's WASDE report. And I think for soybeans, that was kind of the big picture of what's going on there because yesterday after the report they were able to pull through. They didn't finish with major gains on the day, but today we saw major losses pulling back 47 cents in the March contract and almost 30 cents in the new crop contract. And I think there's a couple of factors weighing into that today, news-wise or fundamentals-wise. One big story I saw in the wires today, Ashton, was the not only the anticipated speed at which we should be seeing South American harvest pick up, largely due to weather, but also um, the harvest in Argentina as in regards to their international prices. Bloomberg put out a story today saying that the rise in international prices is expected to increase the value of Argentina's 2020-2020-21 harvest by about $8 billion, even though there's likely to be an average drop in yield. The total output of their three main grains, of course, soybeans, corn, and wheat, is expected to drop just shy of 110 million metric tons in 2021, about 9% below where they were in 2020. But they're saying despite that drop, they believe that due to commodity market rallies and the strength in uh, the Argentinian dollar as compared to the basket of currencies globally, they are going to be able to make quite a bit of money and still going to be a major player in the world market. So that definitely has uh, been, I would say, weighing into the markets today. And also, not only that, but moving right along, Ashton, here with one other piece of quick news. Exports coming out of Brazil and Argentina are expected to hit the pipeline very soon. The slow drip of soybean shipments that we usually see have been a little slower right now since we hadn't seen Brazil be able to pick up the pace yet on exports or on harvest. But we are expecting to see that pick up here pretty quickly. Vessels have already been scheduled to haul out uh, soybeans and soy oil, soybean meal, etc. pretty heavily here in February. And it is anticipated that we'll see a record month for Brazilian and South American, Brazilian and Argentinian uh, soybean exports for the month of February, which is not a very favorable factor when considering U.S. markets 
and means that likely the U.S.'s time to export could be near an end. Delaney, you pay so much more attention to markets. I pay a little bit more attention to news. We just complement each other well. It all works out. That's the best part, Ashton. (laughs) Well, I just have one other news story today that I have been keeping an eye out on, and it is coming from the EPA. President Joe Biden's pick to lead the EPA, Michael Reagan, said he will confer with legal and policy teams to understand the options available for setting mandates to blend biofuels into the nation's fuel mix beyond 2022. Reagan also said he has had conversations with other members of the Biden administration, including Biden's pick for the Department of Agriculture to discuss the role biofuels can play in combating climate change. If Reagan is confirmed, he will have a number of outstanding issues surrounding the renewable fuel standard to deal with, including setting renewable volume obligations for 2021 because we didn't see that come from the Trump administration. They did not hit that deadline. So Reagan is going to have a Good bit of desk work, I assume, if he is confirmed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've talked about it before, but there's also the possibility that we'd see some new legislation for agriculture revolving around carbon credits. I assume that the EPA would help rule or mitigate that to some extent. But yeah, it's all just going to be a little bit of a waiting game. It's interesting to me, though, how quickly and I don't really know the reason behind this, but how quickly we've seen this administration get folks uh, sworn in or at least pushed through to their hearings. Whereas in the Trump administration, it took months, if not close to a year for a lot of their cabinet and top level officials to be integrated into that administration. Okay, I'm I'm glad that you pointed that out, Delaney, because I haven't. I mean, really paid a whole lot of attention to past elections. I mean, I think I was only 16 when Trump was um, first taking office. And so I didn't realize that it really kind of takes a little bit more time. And so I'm just anxious for these new roles to kind of take place. Yeah, I am too anxious and just eager to see what happens because I still don't really know Um a lot about these new administration members, and I don't think a lot of people do, to be honest. So it's just going to be interesting to see what uh, what happens with the new picks that the Biden administration has for top level government officials. But Ashton, I tell you what, I think it's that time where we should talk commodity markets for today. What do you say? Let's get into it, Delaney. Well, we saw corn futures extend and then retreat from some of their highest levels seen in over seven years after yesterday's WASD report, and we continue to see them pull back again today. March corn was down today 21 and three quarters cents to close at 534 and a half. The May down 21 and a half cents to close at 532 and three quarters. In soybeans, big moves to the downside today with all of that news we talked about earlier, mostly South American production weighing on today's markets as the March soybean contract gave up 47 and three quarters cents to close at 13.54. The May down 46 and a quarter to close at 13.52. In the Chicago wheat pits, March down 14 cents today to close at 6.35 and a half. The May down 13 to close at 6.41. And in grain 
And in livestock, about said grains there, uh, mixed trade today, as we saw the April live cattle contract sell off a dollar twelve and a half to close at one twenty two seventy, and June down fifty two and a half cents to close at one nineteen twelve. Feeder cattle today strength across the board as the March contract added eighty five cents to close at one thirty nine fifty. The April up thirty two and a half to close at one forty three fifty. And in lean hogs, April today down, uh, up, excuse me, a dollar forty-five to close at eighty-one, eighty-two and a half. The May up eighty-seven and a half to close at eighty-four ninety. And rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, March down a nickel today to close at sixteen twenty-six. April up a nickel to close at sixteen eighty-one. Without further ado, Ashton, let's kick it over to our conversation with our calf. Today, we are talking about the cattle industry long-range plan from RCAF, and we have two representatives from RCAF USA actually on to talk about that. We have Karina Jones, who was on the podcast not too long ago, talking about their petition, and Brett Kinsey, who is a Region 3 director for RCAF. Brett and Karina, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast today. Brett, I'll start off by asking you a little bit more about where the idea for this cattle industry long-range plan came from. Well, sure. I mean, we we have board meetings, telephone board meetings with our calf, and we meet often. And uh, during COVID, it got to be kind of a long haul there, but we, we got to talking about the beef industry long-range plan that was launched in July. And as, as things have progressed, you know, when I was in college, they tried to make everybody into a beef producer. But now that we've seen such a such a disparity between the beef price and the cattle price, we're hearing more and more talk about the beef industry and the cattle industry being two different industries, which which I've always agreed with, really. So as we looked at that beef industry long-range plan, we decided that it would be fruitful for us to come up with a cattle industry long-range plan. And, uh, you know, it was a, a quite a journey. We have 13 volunteer board members that represent people from 43 states. So there's a lot of ideas and a lot of back and forth that was shared. And I guess this is what we came up with as, as a plan, a five-year plan of what we think that the cattle industry needs to sustain itself and the rural communities that we support. Brett, I want to dive into this long range plan a little bit more in just a second. But first, I want to go back to something you just mentioned there, the cattle industry versus the beef industry. I've got to admit, I did not really realize that there was starting to become a divide to that extreme. I guess I've kind of always used the terms um, interchangeably and my family raises cattle. So I guess I really always have used them kind of interchangeably. But when you look at those two terms, what is RCAF's perspective of the cattle industry versus the beef industry? And more specifically, this cattle industry long range plan that you guys put out, who are you trying to target or work with for this? Well, this plan, this plan, I guess maybe the first thing that it does is it, it recognizes that there's a beef industry and a cattle industry and that there's a, a transaction point where those two meet. And as an RCAF board member and a cattle producer, 
that makes all his living from selling cattle, we we just have gotten to such a point that we have such a unbalanced amount of leverage. You know, the beef industry just can can call out anything they want and we have to comply you know i mean if you they they call you they tell you what your cattle are worth you take it or leave it and uh we just you know really for me this was our chance to address our falling percent of the re of the of the retail dollar or the or the boxed beef price you know that's that's a lot of people talk about how we need to study this, but that, that trend is clear that cattle producers are receiving less and less as a percentage of the retail dollar. And I mean, that's been going on my entire life. I'm 49 years old. So that's, you know, I mean, number one, it's the, the realization that there is a beef industry and a cattle industry. Number two, it's a transactional relationship. Number three, it doesn't have to be, necessarily an adversarial relationship but it we do have different goals you know if i ran a packing plant i would want to buy cattle cheap and as a cattle producer i want to sell them high and and if we can get back to more of a competitive market then somewhere in the middle will lie the truth well brett speaking of goals i kind of want to talk about the industry objectives for the long range plan and folks that are listening i will hyperlink this in our description so you can take a closer look at what these are because there there's certain words that are kind of bolded in these industry objectives and grow improve intensify evaluate brett where did you i or how did you identify these goals when you were creating this plan well a lot of the things that are in this plan are things that that RCAF has been advocating for a long time. But but in sitting down and, and putting this together, we were forced to maybe prioritize somewhat. You know, this is a five-year plan, but we're very aware that the markets have been incredibly tough on cattle producers in rural America. So, you know, Everything is important, but some of these goals and objectives are more, maybe more imminent than others. And, and really, I think more achievable in the very short term. I think that we're maybe on the precipice of getting some really big things done here. And that's kind of how we came up, you know, to we want to grow demand for what we grow, which is American cattle. And we think that mandatory country of origin is is the first step in that you know i mean if we can use the truth to add some leverage to united states cattle production i think that's a wonderful thing absolutely so karina let's uh bring you into the conversation i know you've been a little quiet up until this point but you're also involved in RCAF, a producer you mentioned yourself um as far as those kind of four objectives go talk to us a little bit more about the implementation of getting this long-range plan enacted does it require a lot of producer work and activism is it more so calling on legislators or RCAF to be the body to drive this goal forward well all of the above because
because as the directors conceived this long cattle industry with long range plan, I watched them communicate back and forth to producers in their regions. And what became, um, what we've always known is this isn't just a cattle industry problem going on. This is a rural America issue going on. And so as we go through the cattle industry long range plan, a lot of these things are issues that RCAF, they're foundational issues to RCAF, things we've been working on for decades, you know, like country of origin labeling on our beef. And so this plan that, you know, just put it down in black and white and kind of made it more comprehensive and a little bit more of a roadmap for everybody. So when you, t- you ask about implementing things, yeah, everybody is, is a part of that implementation. And that's what makes it so inviting and inclusive. And so what I have done as a producer in Nebraska is created conversations through emails and phone calls to um, my local senators. Nebraska is a one-house government body, a unicameral, so I only have local senators to communicate with. And then also with my um, national elected officials, our three congressmen in Nebraska and our two state senators. And so I have emailed them all this cattle industry long range plan, had numerous conversations about how urgent this is that we start um, magnifying these issues and creating creating the solutions, getting uh, mandatory country of origin labeling back in place so that there's competition for our born, raised and slaughtered American cattle. Um, of course, 5014, getting that uh, reintroduced and, and taking it all the way through so we have some transparency and, and some leverage in the fat cattle market. And then uh, an issue that you gals have seen me be active on is this checkoff issue. It's been 35 years since we have gotten to vote as American producers on the, the beef checkoff. And so this cattle industry long-range plan talks about how um, you know, the checkoff should be accountable to us investors, us producers, and creating, um, you know, regular, regular voting referendums should be accepted. So, Karina, these strategies that are kind of going along with these goals to ensure that they are achieved, there are, you know, quite a bit of them, like, I mean, it's a a long range plan, so a lot of detail goes into this. But from a producer standpoint, are these core strategies, I don't want to say easy because change isn't always easy. There's going to be bumps in the road. But from a producer standpoint, I'm just going to go ahead and say easy. Are, you know, implementing these core strategies kind of easy to do on your operation? I think it's going to take a collective effort. You know, I think that it's going to take uh, just a collective effort among our ag lenders, among, um, you know, any any business in town that is supported by the cattle industry in your area needs to get involved in fighting for these these objectives and these strategies. Because as there becomes less and less cattle producers in your area, when the cattle leave the land, the people leave the land. And so from right smack in the middle of Nebraska, I watch there be less and less kids in these rural schools. I watch there be less and less families um, supporting my locally small owned grocery stores. You know, there's there's less hair shops on Main Street to 
get your hair cut out. It's all a domino effect. And so if we don't call on the entire rural America infrastructure to fight for this cattle industry, it's going to just fall down. I have just one final question, and I'll kind of open it up to Brett, you or Karina to answer it. Um, you know, obviously, we've just had a new administration step in here. As far as your guys's long range plan and just the cattle slash ag industry as a whole, what do you think producers should be expecting as far as changes? Do you think that this administration is going to be receptive to changes like the long range plan and focusing on more fair market practices? Or what's your guys's take on this new administration? Well, we're uh, we're a non nonpartisan organization, so we don't really pick sides. Uh, it was very timely that we put this together so that we would have a document to present to an administration. We we hope they'll listen because you know our our fourth objective in our plan, last but not least, is to. Uh, have an awareness of how important independent cattle producers are to the food security of this nation. And so, you know, if we can start from there and then work into some of the challenges that we see, we, we sure hope that they will listen to us because, you know, food is so important. It should be a universal, a universal goal for a nation to have a reliable, safe, food source and uh you know we've we've seen empty shelves now and and this this plan just i i think that it emphasizes the importance of independent ag producers you know i mean i want to call them family ag producers but what does that look like i mean that could be 10 cows that could be ten thousand, but really independent operations you know, my dad always said that uh, you can't work somebody harder than they can work themselves if they think that they're putting something together for themselves and their family. And I just think that, you know, that's just the mentality that built America. And I think that I hope that America will, will come back to appreciating that. And it's not just independent agriculture. It's small business. You know, rural America, really, if you if you boil it down to what it is, it's just a network of interconnected small businesses that depend on each other to go forward and and support their communities and fill their schools and keep their hospitals up. Because we don't want to be a liability to the American taxpayer who already pays, I think. I, I don't believe in a cheap that there's a cheap food policy. I think they play. They pay plenty for their food, but it's just that the value isn't being allocated due to a lack of competition. And and that's what we want. We don't want to raise the food price. We don't want to get in the consumer's pocket through subsidies or anything else. We're just calling for a, a proper distribution of that American food dollar. And we think that we can make rural America and all of America stronger by doing that. Well, Brett and Karina, this has been an interesting thing to learn about. I'm excited for the future of the cattle industry, and I'm really hoping that this long-range plan and your goals and your strategies are are all achieved. But for those listeners who want to learn more and read this plan themselves, how can they do that? 
That's a great question because as I said, this is a plan of inclusion and we absolutely want to bring the, the producers that just raised some backyard beef or perhaps have a milk cow, um, you know, to the, the uh, men and women who run a thousand mama cows or maybe a 10,000 head feedlot to the table. So this is a plan of inclusion. So if you would like to learn more about the cattle industry long range plan, you can um, print it off and check it out at our website, www.r-calfusa.com. Or you can call me, Karina Jones. I'm the field director for RCAF. And if you would like one of our um, directors who conceived this long-range plan and were a part of these conversations to come and visit with your group or to just visit with you personally, we would love to create those connections and that communication. You can give me a call at 308-760-3466. Or shoot me an email at Karina Jones, K-A-R-I-N-A Jones at r-calfusa.com. You know, if, if I could add, you know, independent agriculture in that name is the word independent. And America's ag producers are an independent group. But uh, if we can come together, you know, this plan is not a step-by-step how-to manual for genetics or feeding, nutrition, marketing, any of that. This is this is really a challenge for us to come together and to challenge our leaders to take a look at what we think rural America needs to have a, a positive role in food security in the future. Awesome. Well, again, Brett and Karina, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Again, thank you to Brett and Karina for coming on and talking to us about the RCAF USA Cattle Industry Long Range Plan. And folks, if you want to go back and listen a little bit more about the RCAF petition and our previous interview with Karina Jones, you can do so at agnewsdaily.com. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on social media if you aren't already at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.